and welcome back to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and here on Teacher's Lounge, we talk all about the art of teaching improv. Uh, I get to talk to a guest, you guys get to listen, and we all get to learn. Every week, I talk to a new guest about the art of teaching improv. I'm really excited about this week. It's Michael Jastro. For those of you who don't know, Michael is from Coal Town Theater, and Coal Town Theater is actually celebrating 10 years in the Austin, Texas community. Michael is one of the founders of Coal Town Theater, and he's been teaching improv for the last decade. He's taught at festivals all over the country, and he can be seen every Thursday night with his improv group, The Frank Mills, or heard on his improv and sketch comedy podcast, Victrola. He's on Twitter at J-A-S-T-R-O-C-H. He's also on Facebook, J-A-S-T-R-O-C-H, and Instagram. Guess what that is? J-A-S-T-R-O-C-H. I really enjoyed this conversation with Michael. He was super honest and it was super raw about some of the insights he had early on when he was a teacher um, and his own growth and his own struggles. I'm so honored that he shared that with me so that you guys and myself can just learn and we can all be better as a result. I really enjoyed how you shared classroom management and also how being a teacher and also part of theater management can sometimes get a little tricky. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. And go ahead, sit back, and listen to Michael Jastro. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. I, I, uh, I love talking about this stuff and uh, feeling included. <laughs> <laughs> in a second because I read over uh, what you sent me and I love it because uh, I'm like oh he's just 10 years down the road from where I or 8 years down the road from where I am at this point so yeah. happy anniversary by the Thank way yeah. yes it's yeah it's exciting Cold Town's 10 year anniversary mm-hmm. um, I'm super excited that's I love I love hearing when theaters thrive that's always yeah. a, a great thing so yeah I um, like I said when I was reading over that I was like Oh, yeah, I I know how that feels. So let's just get into how you came into teaching improv. What were you doing that made you want to teach improv? Well, uh, I've been uh, teaching since I was 16, and it sounds kind of weird. I'm originally from Connecticut, and this is like the biggest Connecticut stereotype, but I I started teaching sailing when I was 16. (laughs) And uh, it was the first time that I – kind of ever felt uh good at something or like you know I had some value I was very very shy growing up and so just being able to stand in front of people and kind of connect that way and then also specifically working with kids getting to um find the weirdos in the class and show them that they have value (laughs) really uh kind of opened uh opened a part up of me that I, I hadn't experienced yet. And so, um, you know, after that, I would, you know, tutor academic subjects and whatnot. And, you know, when I started doing improv, my, my first impulse was to want to work towards being a teacher because I know how much communicating this stuff actually helps me in my own work. But I also knew how rewarding I, I, I felt uh, helping guide people through their journey and and whatnot. Um, I think, you know, though, if I'm being honest, initially I was, if I had everything to do over again, I think I was very maybe over eager to teach. And part of it was kind of an ego thing. Like I want to feel, 
I want to feel like I'm one of the important people and uh, I'm, I'm not getting there with my performance. So maybe I can get there by teaching. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, so, so that was a little bit of it early on. And then, um, you know, was, uh, eventually my performance caught up with my teaching ability <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. So it's, it all kind of evened out in the end, but so that, that was kind of initially. And when we, when we came to Austin, there was not a lot of IO or UCB centric Herald work going in. There wasn't any of that going in town on a town. And so cold town, uh, my first improv group and this group that I'm in now, the Frank Mills, who I wasn't in back then, we all moved to town at the same time. And the, the Frank Mills and, you know, were teachers and directors at IO and second city. And uh, we were all gung ho to start building up a scene with the kind of improv we wanted to see in town. And, uh, we just decided to start banding together and, and teaching. And, you know, um, the one thing I wish I had done was marinated a couple years longer before I started teaching. Cause I did kind of have to figure out a lot of stuff on my own, uh, as both a teacher, but also from an improv standpoint, and I think it's made me a better teacher in the long run, uh, because I've had to go through a lot of that stuff myself, but it's also, um, uh, you know, I would have liked more time to, uh, uh, to just be a student, I think in hindsight. Do I don't, but it sounds like you didn't necessarily have the opportunity to be a student a little longer. If you guys were all coming over to start cold town, it sounds like you had a very strong vision of what needed to happen. And so then that also means that you then are also going to be building curriculums from the ground up and classes from the ground up. And so when you say you wish you had a couple more years to marinate, is that because you didn't have those and you were creating them while you were creating a theater at the same time? Well, I I had enough improv. Personally, I had enough improv education uh, and there were also enough people starting the theater that were I did have more experience that the initial syllabus we were able to kind of build uh, was adequate. But I think as a teacher, I hadn't been exposed to enough of a variety of voices. And there were a lot of things in my initial education that were presented to me that they weren't really sussed out in on a deeper level. Uh, You know, so for example, I was told make sure there's a relationship in the scene. And, you know, I understood that on a very surface level, but didn't, was never really, um, it was never explained to me on a kind of a deeper level. So I had to kind of dissect some of that stuff. Well, what does it mean to be in a relationship? Does that mean that, you know, we're a doctor and I'm the patient, or does that mean that I'm sitting there talking about all my emotions or what does it mean to, uh, play a game in an improv scene? I mean, I understood it on a surface level, but I hadn't had enough voices and sought out enough information on my own uh, to bring my first students kind of the breadth of that that experience, if that makes sense. For- it does. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. Um, so you were probably working through that while teaching your students. Exactly. And, and you're right. Part of it was like there was no one else in town. We had to, we had to do it, you know, uh, from a certain point of view. But – all things being equal, what I, you know, I, what I think would have been healthier for me as a creative person and, and then ultimately as a teacher would have been said like, okay, you know, I'm going to 
uh, I'm going to go away for two years into the mountains and just study with improv monks. You know what I mean? Uh, it all worked out in the end, but um, and I, I don't think I ruined anyone for improv, but me two years into teaching versus me, uh, you know, two weeks into teaching was radically different. Right. Um, so if you were, I think, I think that's true. I think that I, I feel that's really true whether you felt ready or not. I mean, regardless of who you are, you're different, you know, two to five years later than you were when you started out doing that. Um, I know for myself the way, I mean, I knew my curriculum going in, but the way I teach my curriculum now versus that very first class, uh, it's a very different experience that everybody's getting. Yeah. Um, so if you're coming in the, in those early days, what were you taking a look at to develop the curriculum? Were you going class by class or did you have a larger vision and then go and work your way back? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those kind of. Sorry, I, I, tried. I didn't mean to trip your question. No, no, I know it's hard. We're on like this crazy. We kind of see each other and we <laughs> hear each other. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think like we kind of collectively came together and laid out a five level uh, track uh, based, uh, inspired by the five, you know, the track of like IO with our own tape, but then also taking things from other theaters that we liked uh, and uh, uh, that was not part of the IO curriculum. And so we did have that big picture and we did break out class by class, week by week, uh, what that would look like. Uh, but again, you know, as we learn more from other teachers and then learn more about how to effectively teach this stuff and then learn more from our students uh, having that communication, we just, uh, you know, bit by bit would adjust the curriculum as needed. And, you know, there have been times through Cold Town's history, like, where the curriculum that we have set up in the syllabus is like actually behind kind of the oral tradition of the curriculum that has evolved. And so we're constantly like, oh, wait, let's look back at this piece of paper. This is not actually what we're teaching in this level. Let's go back and make those adjustments because it is such a broad kind of community of performers and uh, teachers that there's um, always new ideas getting cycled through. And I think our main mission statement at Coltown and, and mine personally as a teacher is always what's going to work for the performers versus taking, uh, approaching it from a place of this is the only way to do improv. And this is our marketing hook for our philosophy that we can use to sell classes. So, um, that's a long roundabout answer to say, uh, uh a little bit of both. It's always, always in flux. And we're always uh, adjusting it. And um, we also always leave it a little bit up to the teacher uh, to speak their own styles. We lose a little bit there in terms of uh, having one definitive answer that can track through all six levels. Some teachers may communicate things in slightly different ways or have different perspectives. And you know, we lose some clarity there. But I think what we gain there is the plurality of perspectives will actually in the long run help the students, even though if it's, it might be a little confusing in the first two months of your education. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, I have a bunch of follow-up questions, but yes, I'm going sorry. to start with, <laughs> yes, no, I love it. No, this is great. I love it. When you talk about adjusting your curriculum, are you doing that? 
are you having surveys? Are you having conversations with students? Are you having conversations amongst the faculty? And when I say faculty, is that two people or do you have like a 10 person faculty? Well, I mean, at this point, you know, uh, in the early days, it was uh, around an eight or nine person faculty. And at this, the broader faculty right now, um, and I'm not looking at the numbers, so, uh, but uh, I would say there's at least 20, uh, 20 teachers give or take, and people come in and out and that sort of thing. Um, so it's not necessarily all 20 people teaching at the same time, but, you know, some teachers will say like, well, I want to back away from teaching for a while and they might come back in. Um, and then on top of that, TAs and people who coach and directors and all that stuff. Uh, so that's, it's, you know, the one thing that we've always struggled with as a business and an institution is, having the resources of time and money to do things the right way because like we've always been a big organization running on, on the budget of a, you know, a food, a taco truck. Uh, and, uh, um, and so I would say it's just now in the last couple of years where we're organizing that process. And uh, up until then it's been very much a little bit chaotic in terms of that communication, we've always done student surveys and done that, but it's not been uh, collated in a scientific method. It's very much been, let's have a faculty meeting and shoot the shit and let's hang out at the coffee shop and talk about this stuff and hash it out that way. Uh, and again, I mean, you know, uh, we go back and forth because it would be really nice to have a, yes, you must do exactly this. So every customer experience is exactly the same. But I, I think for me, that has we've ended up having a stronger stronger better results with the kind of students were coming out because of that chaos which sounds weird because i'm a control freak so i don't like that <laughs> you know what i mean uh, well i think it, part of it is, is a subjective we're not teaching calculus exactly so right so what constitutes a great scene to one person made not, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, and so because it's art, I think, I think that's probably a big thing. Um, but it sounds like you definitely have like, Oh, in level one, we absolutely need to have these things happening yes, yes. in order to move to level two or to be find success on stage. I know for myself, it's not so much that I want to be like, Oh, look, I'm a great teacher. It's that I want my students to know when they walk out the door, they can hit the stage and feel comfortable with what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. So we definitely have those, like this level is about these four or five demonstrable skills and this is what they need to get out of this level. And then the, the, the way we approach that from class to class and teacher to teacher, there's a lot of room for improvisation uh, uh, there. And, right, uh, right, right. Uh, but yeah, it's, but yeah, it's definitely, we have, very, very clear, um, expectations, I guess, or, or things that we want to hit so that the students are achieving some kind of growth, um, some kind of growth. Um, <laughs> uh, the, well, the mistake I always made when I first started teaching and I did a couple level ones in the early days and I scared everyone off a little bit cause I was a jerk, uh, or like <laughs> not, not a jerk, but like, uh, uh, I, I was trying to teach them as if they had been doing this for a couple of years uh, instead of like, instead of like been doing this for no time. And um, 
you know, I made the mistake early on of trying to teach level one, six levels of improv in eight weeks and people would short circuit and overwhelm. Now I only did that once. Uh, and you know, no one else signed up for level two. Uh, 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 (laughs) right. (laughs) You know, part, part of that is being able to temper expectations from level to level. So I know, well, at the end of level one, I'm not going to dumb it down for them or hold anything back. But at the same time, you know, if they can get up on stage and support each other and have fun and say yes to each other's ideas, then I've done my job. Everything else is icing on the cake at that point after level one. Um, yeah, I'm going off on random yeah. directions here. No, I, uh, I absolutely agree. I use that icing on the cake metaphor all the time that we're building the cake because students will ask for things, um, uh-huh. and, you know, depending on the level I'm in, I'm like, Oh, that's all frosting. You know, that's not, yeah. let's not get mired in that. Um, because you guys have, uh, you know, a robust faculty, if somebody wants to be a teacher, what do you guys have like a system in place of how that happens? Or is it also like hashing it out of the coffee shop and being like, yep, Bob is ready to, to take it on. Yeah. It's been in the past, super chaotic in that way. Uh, again, going back to that kind of oral tradition, like the, the coffee shop talk, we definitely had a, a TA track, but having the manpower to make that and systematized, process uh was not in the cards and again it's just in the last two years where we have the manpower to start making that systematized so now um we don't have the full checklist uh 100 set in stone but it is now much more uh systematized where people are TAing through the through the different levels and then up for consideration um but it is still very much subjective because we don't we we've had a lot we've gone back and forth on this we want to make sure that it's not if you do these five things, you're definitely a teacher because then people start to get upset if we don't, if they're not ready. And that's a little subjective, unfortunately. Uh, the other thing that we've been making sure that we were, were bad about and are working very hard to get, uh, to, to correct was, um, you know, it was just diversity in our teaching and directing, uh, pools. And part of that is, was systematized in uh, improv in general, being kind of a boys club for a number of years. But that systemization started working itself up into the teacher ranks. So, uh, you know, uh, that's that's been important for us to kind of diversify that so that the teaching and directing staff reflects what's happening on stage, which happen, which reflects what's happening in the broader community. Um, and that's, that's been a challenge, but, uh, in just in terms of like, um, just in practical terms of uh, navigating some of those questions, but, um, you know, everyone's, uh, I think our first rule is always, our first rule is always like, uh, you know, a a talent, ability, hard work, and then, uh, you know, uh, that, that always comes first. So that's, it's been, it's made it relatively easy to navigate, uh, that sort of stuff. Sure. What uh, what cl- what levels are you teaching? Are you teaching currently? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I I tend to I used to teach uh, a whole bunch of levels, and then these days, the last couple of years, I tend to concentrate on level ones. I'm coincidentally teaching three level ones, which is uh, a lot of level ones. Um, <laughs> and then I teach like the we just started the last year and a half, uh, an advanced 
track for experienced improvisers. And so I'm teaching a couple of those classes. So it scratches both of my, uh, uh, my itch scratches, both of my itches. I don't know. Uh, cause I love bringing this work to people that haven't experienced it and getting to share the joy that I feel, uh, and that kind of freedom. And then I also enjoy being an exacting task manager and telling people they're doing it wrong. So I get, <laughs> I get the best of both worlds. Um, right. I tell, right. it's all unicorns and butterflies in one class. Yeah. And then... Well, I tell them they're doing it wrong in a supportive, encouraging manner. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what, um, I think that classroom management is something that uh, maybe isn't – I mean unless you're like going to school specifically to be some sort of teacher, yeah. classroom management is not something that is discussed. Uh, so – for for your classes, you know, what does that kind of look like, classroom management? Like, what does a class look f- like for you when you're about to walk in and, and teach a class? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, classroom management is is super super important. And these days, I, I've taught so much that I personally don't have to think up very hard about it when I go in. Um, I so I'm familiar enough with the material that uh, I show up. 20 minutes before class and put the, together the lesson plan. Uh, I jot down a couple of notes and go from there. Uh, and that's not to say I'm on autopilot, but it is to say that, um, um, it's not, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have, uh, logged my 10,000 hours with this. So I no longer have to think about it. It just kind of happens. Right. In general, the, the thing that is super important to me is to set up classroom, a, a strong classroom culture in the first moments of the class. And that's going to be different for every level and every expectation uh, that comes along with that. So if, I, if I'm teaching kids, I want to uh, set up a culture of uh, – strict discipline. <laughs> right. uh, and so for the first couple of days that I'm working with, with young kids, um, you know, I will not cruelly or meanly or in a screaming way, I will, um, make a very clear list of rules and expectations. One, two, three, and I will include a couple of arbitrary rules on there purposefully. Like don't, don't sit on these chairs and then I will not keep, I will not allow the class to continue if they're not following the rules. And when I was 16, I would raise my voice. Now I just quiet down and that scares them enough. So then they fall in the line and I keep that very strict regimented. This is what we're doing. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, until I have them, I have them bought into my system and then I loosen up the rain. I'm super fun and playful and stuff like that. And that's with kids because kids will, uh, run it's like prison they'll just run, run rough shot over you if you don't do that um you know uh yeah i, I do yeah. i i um i somehow have three of them that run around so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's tough it's tough i i uh i i can only imagine um but with with adults you know it's really about creating a culture of uh trust openness support fearlessness and then also along with that, the kind of responsibility of um, treating each other with mutual respect. So, you know, the first thing I do is um, – and this is something I do much more explicitly given the, all the stuff that's happened in the couple of year, last couple of years is 
draw some clear expectations of what is cool and not cool on stage. And that, you know, if people are not feeling comfortable in the scene, it's okay to call time out. There's no points deducted uh, by that. Um, and then, you know, I hopefully reinforce this culture by modeling that behavior. So if I'm a level one class and the culture I want to create is one of uh, joyful uh, uh, play, I act like a big uh, self-effacing goofball, which I kind of am anyway. So it's not like I'm making this up. But if I'm in an advanced class to level seven and the culture that I want to create primarily is one of um, I want to say uh, uh, discipline where they have homework and I expect them to do the homework, then while I keep it fun and light and I also hold them to standards. So if someone comes in and has not done their homework, uh, you know, I don't just say that's cool. You know, I don't yell at them because we're all grown ups, right? And no one's getting right. Uh, um, uh, and I, I really got that. I, I took this acting class from a fabulous uh, uh, Meisner teacher named uh, Richard Robichaux, who's now, I think, the head of theater at UPenn. And, you know, uh, the first day of class, he gave us this very exacting homework and we didn't come in. And he, the people that didn't do their homework or didn't do it right, made us feel dumb, uh, like idiots. Uh, I don't think that that might work for that acting class. It doesn't work for an improv class, but the spirit of making sure that they know, Oh, well, the fact that you phoned this in for this class is not cool. Uh, finding a way to do that while also maintaining the, the sense of play is, is always is a little challenging, but, um, uh, so, so it really is. If you set up the, the right culture in your class, then everything else is fine. Uh, everything else should hopefully be fine. And every, anything that falls outside of that uh, uh, is an aberration and can be dealt with. But if you don't set up that culture from the moment people walk in the door, then um, it's the class is going to be all over the map um, in terms of not, not their behavior, because I don't want to infantilize them as grown-up students, but in terms of what they're bringing on stage and the energy that they're bringing into the work. You know, if I shuffle into a level one class on the first day, like, Hey, uh, yeah, let's, uh, well, anyway, uh, Hey, uh, we're going to get in a circle, right? If I come in with that attitude, then the class, their experience on stage is going to be like that. That's the way they're going to perform. That's the way they're going to get up. If I come in and I'm there a half hour early and I'm shaking everyone's hands and greeting them, which is not my natural instinct. I'd much rather hide the corner from everyone. <laughs> right, <laughs> me too. Yeah. Uh, then they're much, if I'm out there and gregarious and is a, a squealing extrovert, then they're going to be attack it that way, which is a lot of work for me. I really, it's not my natural state. So, well, I think that's a great point though. Uh, because I also treat, especially my level one with I'm, I'm there before everybody else as everybody walks in. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm going to be your teacher. Yeah. Uh, I come home and I am spent. Like I am super exhausted. And I think that's something that people, if they're just getting into teaching to need to, you know, hopefully learn or recognize is that this is a bit of a performance as well. Yep. And uh, we, for those of us who, like you said, like I would much rather just hide in the corner, be an introvert. Um, so it's it's really important to bring that kind of energy to the classroom. That so I think it's a great point 
that that's how you have to treat, you know, and you have to take a look at the levels you're treat the levels you're going to be in and treat them as such. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, I mean, teachers that are just starting out, I, this is my experience. If I'm teaching, um, 15 hours a week, you know, there are day. I mean, most nights I'm like, I, I don't want to go see more improv. I, I can't and, and do my own shows. And that's been an interesting struggle for me. And, uh, because I love improv, but it's teaching has teaching the community is also at times simultaneously put me apart from the community. And, you know, because I'm not around seeing shows or hanging out as much as I, as I used to, I don't get invited to be in shows as much as I used to. Uh, and that's, a, that's been an interesting thing to kind of grapple with. Um, and, you know, so people are like, I want to be a teacher. It's like, okay, well, but there's also these other things that come with it. It's very rewarding and awesome, but, you know, consider this, this stuff, you might get sick of improv at the end of the day. <laughs> right, right. The other, the other thing that uh, I had to come to when I really, cause you know, I just started off doing some workshops and yeah. then when I really just delved into the deep end of just teaching all the time was the concept of improv peers. Uh-huh. So um, I'm I'm not in a community where there's a ton of improv teachers. Yeah. So now anytime somebody talks to me, you know, especially if they're coming from within the ad lib community, I just want to hang out. And I'm like, oh, that's right. They don't see me that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, right. So I don't get invited to do shows. Not because I'm not like, it's because, oh, they're afraid to ask me. <laughs> Right? Like, on some level, yeah, yeah, that's and that's challenging. It's um, if I ever figure out a solution to that, I'll uh, let you know. But uh, right, yeah, I, I think it's a great thing, though. For I think it's I don't know that there's yeah I don't know if there's a solution, but I think it's great for the listener out there to keep that in mind. That right, teaching has so many rewards, and I love it. Like I don't yeah want to give up teaching, but there may be some of these other you know things that come with it. Well, and. and I, I have found that like um, I just uh, it's best just to put myself out there and like not I don't uh, I feel squicky inviting myself into shows and stuff like that so not that but like say like if I want to do a show and I'm, I'm I'll ask the people that I want to play with like hey let's get a pickup group going or something or let's do this fun thing even if it's just for like a one off little show or something like that um, I just try to take the initiative. Uh, uh, because uh, because I'm trying to do that more because in the last couple of years I started focusing on uh, uh, offstage creative uh, stuff like writing and stuff just to kind of get that aspect of my career going a little bit and now I'm like I've still been performing every week but not as much as I had in the past so now I'm like huh, I need to get on stage does anyone like me what <laughs> am I still good at this everyone <laughs> It's so great that you can still be on stage once a week and be like, mm, I'm going to get rusty. <laughs> like, I keep doing it. Well, I mean, I love, I love improvising. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty tightly wound person and uh, improvising and I'm very shy and improvising is the way I let loose and I connect with people. Um, I don't like going to bars and dance clubs. I mean, what else am I going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> No, I I am a hundred percent right there with you. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your students when you have, um, especially. Let's talk about level one for a moment yeah. because you know 
the biggest outcome, like you said, is you want them to be able to say yes to each other's ideas and have a good time on stage. Uh, have you had to ever hold a level one student back? Uh, not personally. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, overall the theater has not been good at addressing. Cause there's probably been a couple students that made it through that were like, ah, they probably should have been, uh, held back. Um, you know, uh, but just in general, just as a, 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 a general from me and personally as an experience, over my years, uh, I've only encountered two students that I, I, I genuinely thought they can't get better at this. Uh, uh, and, and that was about stuff that improv couldn't address in their life, uh, that they okay. you know, uh, either uh, uh, some sort of wiring with their brain or with um, some sort of uh, emotional issues that they needed to address off stage. And that's only happened twice out of the hundreds and maybe thousands of students that I've personally taught. I would say in level one, um, it's very rare that I have not experienced a level one student who can't get to the point where I'm like, okay, you could do level two. Uh, you may not be great yet, but you're, you're on your way. You're saying yes, you're playing pretend you're having a good time. You're supporting people. Uh, uh, and I think, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I genuinely honestly believe this. I don't think I've had that experience where I'm like, Oh, this person absolutely cannot, is going to hold their level two class back as we go up through the ranks by and large at Col at cold town. Um, the people that, um, the people that struggle with it, uh, uh, the people that excel are the people that are like, I'm into this. I want to do this. So not only am I going to class, but I've got a practice troupe and uh, I'm going to show six nights a week. And the people that don't uh, aren't super excelling uh, or uh, they're not that into it and uh, a little bit. So it's a little bit self-selecting where the people that like aren't getting good, aren't getting good because they're not watching shows. And then they just like, OK, well, I got what I needed out of this. Uh, and then, of course, there's exceptions to all that. There's people that are just – they don't see shows. They don't do improv, but they're awesome in class. So I think most of that is is, is self-selecting on our part. Um, but that's a conversation we've had. We've talked about having auditions past a certain level like they do at UCB and uh, IO and Second City. And, um, you know, that's that's a bigger discussion of like what do we want this program to be and how accessible do we want it to be and um, – I don't have great answers uh, for, for, for that. I think that's something that's going to shake itself out as we continue to grow and uh, develop and stuff like that. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, it did. So, so have you never, so you've never held anyone in level one back. Have you had to hold anyone back ever for your, yeah. any of your other classes? Not, not, okay. not personally, uh, okay. by luck of the draw. Uh, okay. The, um, the, the few people that I'm like, uh, uh, maybe this person, they, they were not going to continue uh, on anyway. Uh, the, the couple times that happened. Uh, so, but we have had that happen before where right. we've taken people aside and said like, I don't think, you know, I think you might do better, but take the, the previous level and, you know, we can scoot you in there and stuff like that. Um, right. but people want to do awesome at, it and they want to stay with their class and, 
you know, at the end of the day, um, this is gonna, this sounds harsh, but at a certain level, um, you know, for me to, to me to advance everyone and give everyone stage time at a certain level, we have to say, okay, well, uh, you're, you're good enough to give perform shows and, and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, maybe this is just a fun hobby for you or something like that. Cause otherwise we're running a daycare center and that's not what we want to do. That sounds very harsh right. than I mean it. Uh, no, I think that's because you're in the position of not just being a teacher, but also theater management. Yes. Right. So I think that those two things can, um, can have, you have to either be really good at taking them, you know, dividing them up or know that those two worlds are going to collide at some point for people who are just teachers, that may be an easier decision for them or an easier conversation versus those people who are teachers and also part of the theater management. Yeah. Team. One yeah. one thing that we've been discussing is just uh, finding a way to incorporate a more casual track because that is something uh, we did. Um, we had some people come in and uh, do a uh, do some uh, do like a their a graduate thesis on our customer experience. Um, uh, and one of the things then was there was a subset of people that were like going through classes and I'm getting a lot out of this. I love this, but. I can't treat it like a full-time job to get stage time. So once I graduate, I'm done and I feel like I lose the benefits that I've gotten. And so we've been, as with a million other things, we've been talking about finding a way to incorporate a more casual track for, so people can feel like they can continue on without the pressure of like, sorry, you got to be in five shows and rehearsing and all this other stuff that comes along with it. Cause some people don't want to be comedians. Um, yeah, I've heard that. I don't understand that, but I've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> Why would you want to treat this like a full-time unpaid job? I don't, I don't what's, understand. What's wrong with you? Having healthy, healthy boundaries. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, yeah. When I get into something, it's like, well, this is my life now. Like, right. I'm afraid to take any other classes because I'm just going to get sucked into that. Right. I can't start a new passion. Yeah. Um, right. Um, I want to talk. I want to go through some scenarios that I think uh, across the board teachers see from students, and love to get your take on it and how if you've had that experience and how you've handled it. I think that'll be really helpful for people out there. Yeah. Um, the student who is resistant to taking notes or feedback. Yeah. You know they they push back. Yeah. Okay. They push back and. Yeah. Well, that describes me as an early student and uh, the uh, in, at least in level one uh, and uh, um, the best note I ever got was to shut up and take the note and uh, I had to grapple with that truth that uh, I was being defensive and not uh, and that I wasn't a bad person uh, if I didn't know how to do this right. Uh, so. Um, depending on the person and depending on the situation and depending how aggressively they're pushing back. Um, I usually don't, uh, allow that to happen in my class. Uh, and it's probably, if I'm telling the truth, it's probably a little bit of my own personal ego there. <laughs> how dare you question me? Um, I will always answer a note for clarification. Uh, but, uh, the, the best thing they can hear is, you know what? Uh, take the note. Just listen and take the note. Try that. Uh, and if they push back against that, 
you know, I don't know what to tell you. This, this is how you're going to get better is if you listen and take the note. And then if they keep pushing, talk about my own experience, uh, because that defensiveness is not uh, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means that their fear, which we all have, is expressing themselves by building a wall uh, uh, and by being unable to be seen as being less than perfect and amazing. Some people's fear expresses itself by shutting down or freezing up or getting stuck in their head. Some people's fear expresses themselves by uh, stepping on everyone else on stage and not shutting up, you know? So that's just the way their, their fear and insecurity that we all have is expressing themselves. So I try to, even though I'm, I don't uh, allow that as such, um, I, I definitely, uh, you know, have some empathy because of my own experience. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully they, hopefully they hear it and can uh, learn how to let the, let that feedback in instead of finding a way to weasel their brain around it. Um, you know, the reality is teachers are imperfect. They don't always see everything and occasionally they might be wrong, but a good teacher, or I would even say a competent teacher is right nine times out of 10 on some level. They're seeing something that you're incapable of seeing because you're not outside looking in. So, um, yeah, I, I, so the short answer to your question is, uh, I just, I would just point it out the same way you would point out someone making a big, uh, big denial on stage. Uh, and don't let it, that's one of those things not to let slip by because that's, a, right. that's a worm that can undo a lot of other work. Yes. So do you all have a policy? So IO now has a zero, uh, I know, I know for a fact that IO West now has a zero tolerance policy for racism and sexism. And that's something that is discussed at the, like the first day of class, first thing before they get down to business. Yeah. Uh, do, do you guys have that kind of policy? And if not, mm-hmm. what are you, what happens how are you handling choices from students that are turning out to be sexist or racist and or using improv as an excuse to like hit or make passes, you know, Oh, you have to yes. And when I go to touch you yeah. or, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I think given everything that's happened in the last year, I think the whole cold town staff and I can speak for myself in particular has definitely, Uh, been woken up uh, to the realities of this on stage. I I would say if you caught me five years ago, my impulse gut reaction would have been to say something like, Oh, there, that's not really a thing. It's maybe it happens once or twice, but uh, that's, that's just, uh, they're saying that because you know, they're, uh, they're too sensitive or they don't know how to be a strong performer. And I really, regret having those thoughts and feelings. I don't think I ever acted on them uh, as such. Um, but I think that was a mistake because especially in the last couple of years, everything that's come out, um, surrounding those issues, it's very important to address. Uh, so we have a harass, a zero tolerance, toler- zero tolerance harassment policy. Okay. Uh, and that is broadly defined as unwanted uh, bullying or attention, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, um, that said, um, we're a comedy theater, and I think it would be uh, a mistake to say that you can never top tackle the topic of racism or sexism in a satirical fashion uh, on stage. 
um, what I tell people in level one is we're not going to go there. Uh, we're just not going to go there because you guys don't know how to handle that gun. Uh, you have not been properly trained to handle that weapon. Um, uh, and, uh, and, uh, so, so let's just not go there two years from now. If you're performing with the same people and you're super comfortable, maybe you go there, but you, but that's a lot of responsibility. So if you think you can handle those topics in a satirical manner, but just know that it might hurt someone in the, if not on stage, then in the audience. And is that the kind of performer you want to be? So I wouldn't say that is a zero tolerance in that aspect. Um, and certainly with uncomfortable uh, touching and stuff like that, um, uh, with the understanding that mistakes happen, uh, but you know, if, if something gets brought to our attention, then uh, we have now set up a community liaison and anonymous feedback form, hopefully enough avenues that even if people don't feel comfortable coming to me or one of the other owners with that stuff, they can talk to these other people and then we can uh, address it, address it. Um, you know, uh, there's a tricky thing is it's like, Oh, one incident happened on stage. You know, I mean, there's some, there's some ambiguity there in terms of like, you know, um, if, if, someone did a scene, a slow dancing scene with someone and the, the lady felt on, I had this happen in, in a class, uh, an advanced class the other day. I won't get into too many specifics, but, uh, someone, uh, the guy in the scene misinterpreted the lady's initiation and thought he was yes. Anding what she was going for. Uh, and the scene was, she was super uncomfortable because she thought he was being a creep, you know? Uh, and he thought he was supporting her idea. And, uh, I made, I'm usually good at picking out those uncomfortable moments and stopping them and leading a discussion, but I missed that this was very uncomfortable. And when I re- by the time I realized it, the scene was over. And so that was, you know, an uncomfortable moment that we had to have a discussion about. But, you know, if we had a absolute line in the sand, zero tolerance policy, you know, I would have to say to that guy in that instance, like, sorry, you know, get off stage. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, uh, right. So, so I don't, there's not that much subjectivity to this. Obviously if a guy is using improv as an excuse to feel up, uh, or a gal, I guess for that matter, but let's be honest, uh, to, to, feel, <laughs> uh, to feel up women in the class, all of our teachers have a mandate, uh, and, uh, feel very passionate about putting a stop to that right away. And, you know, uh, I think, uh, um, I'm not looking at our exact policy right now, but you know, I think a warning and then psh, I have no comeuppance about kicking someone out of my class for that kind of behavior. I don't want their 200 bucks. I don't need it. I mean, I, I need it, but I don't, you know, I don't need it. <laughs> um, uh, and that is something that uh, we've had to get better at just being aware of because unbeknownst to me for years, there was some of this stuff happening and, uh, it wasn't trickling up to me and women did not feel comfortable bringing it to the attention of managing because they thought that there would be some sort of retribution or they didn't want to make waves or, or, or something like that. And that I had to reconcile the fact that, you know what, that's on me and management for not creating an atmosphere where they feel comfortable coming or making it known that they could have these discussions. Uh, and so what we've really tried to do in the last uh, couple of years um, is like, one, this stuff was never tolerated and 
uh, two, please, please, please tell us. Cause we don't, this is not the community we're trying to, to build. Um, that's a very nuanced answer, uh, but zero. No, hashtag. it's a it's a nuanced issue, right? I mean, it's because I think that you know, like in the situation you just gave, there was mixed communication. No one was being malicious. There was no malicious intent, yeah. which is very different than someone who's just outright yeah. being gross and a creeper. Um, I have no. I don't think anyone has any. If there's someone who's being a, an out and out creep, I don't, and we don't have any uh, any reservations about uh, not letting them around the theater because uh, uh, that's this is not. I mean, just on a base level, forget human decency. It's also not funny, too. You know, uh, so, so it's <laughs> like for, forget all the other stuff. It's just not. It's just not funny. You know, um, in addition to all of that, so. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, awesome. I, um, if you meet someone who wants to be teaching an improv today, yeah. what, what are some, some advice you'd give to that person? Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, uh, that you're doing it because you have something to impart to people, not because you want to feel important. I think a lot of people want to become a teacher because they want to, have that like path to being a high status member of the community. Uh, and I think that's the wrong reason to get into this because as we talked about before, uh, teaching gets in the way of other stuff as well. Uh, so you really have to have a passion for it and something to say. Um, and, uh, in addition, it's not just showing up to the classroom and leading some workshops and collecting your paycheck. There is work and thought that has to go into this and, and technique that, uh, um, you can't phone. You shouldn't phone this in. Uh, you shouldn't do this if you're not willing to treat it like a real job. Yeah, I think that's. That, that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's that's some great advice. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I will put all your information yeah. up on the podcast, like in all the comments section and everything. If you want, though, uh, go ahead and let people know where they can find you. Yeah, uh, I, you can find me at coldtowntheater.com. Uh, Coldtown is spelled C-O-L-D-T-O-W-N-E, uh, theater, uh, E-R, uh, dot com, or michaeljastro.com. Uh, dot com. And uh, those are good places to find me. Uh, come out to Austin and... Uh, introduce yourselves and uh, do some shows and um, hang out.